Today is Palm Sunday, and we all know what that means, right? We, we, we know, we're looking forward to the stories of Jesus walking into Jerusalem on a donkey, of people shouting Hosanna, they're cutting down palm branches, and they're putting them on the road for Jesus to walk on. People are even brave enough to take off their outer cloak and put it on the ground for this donkey to walk on. And that, to me, says a lot. Uh, because you just never know what's going to happen when there's a bunch of people and a donkey walking by on what you've set down. And we're going to get to that here in just a minute. But first of all, I want to step back in time a little bit before this event to see, because it's, it's exciting to know Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. But there's, uh, there's a little bit uh, of a background story to getting him there. And then reading through uh, Luke, you find out that there's not exactly the greatest ending to this. And so I want to... Kind of work all the way through this. We'll start with uh, the fact that Jesus is on his way to Judea. And which sounds great. I mean, Jesus is getting well known by everybody. He's doing miracles. The crowds are growing. He's teaching people. He's being able to stand up to the Pharisees. And everybody just loves the fact that he's doing all sorts of miracles and all sorts of these teachings as he goes along. But not everybody likes that. Uh, On his way to Judea, Jesus is, uh, he's, he's going to some place where it's, he's not, they're not expecting a positive outcome. Um, they're going there to heal a man named Lazarus, to raise him from the dead. But the disciples start asking Jesus, well, wait a second, we don't really want to go back because they remember in John chapter 10 that the Pharisees were really mad at Jesus. They, they were to the point of, of picking up the rock and they're just ready to throw it at Jesus because they're going to stone him because he says, he, he was claiming to be God's son, which is blasphemy. It's, it's giving himself the equal credit of God, the equal standing. And the Pharisees don't believe in Jesus. They believe in God, but anything like this is punishable by death. And so they're ready to carry this out. Jesus, being Jesus, escapes this punishment. But the disciples, doubting Thomas, the one who gets all the credit for being the biggest doubter, says, well, let's go to Jerusalem that we can die with Jesus. And it's like, wait a second, you have... All I ever think about the story is the triumphant and the exciting part. But you have this, Jesus knows that everybody wants to kill him. The disciples are going, they're not going in all this excitement of what you're going to do. They're going there expecting that there's going to be a big consequence. It may be death, it may be imprisonment, just because we're walking through the gates of Jerusalem with Jesus. But they're willing to go. That's a very important thing, they're willing to go. Uh, If you read along in in, uh, John chapter 11, you find out that The Pharisees, they're plotting to kill Jesus. You find out that they've even told everybody, hey, when you guys come across Jesus, let us know so we can arrest him. So they're kind of building up their army to say, hey, let's get rid of this guy. And think about all that, the fact that the disciples are thinking we're going to die. Jesus knows everything, but he's willing to go into Jerusalem. Think about that as we walk through the fact that Jesus got on a donkey A great big crowd of people are walking with him as he starts heading towards Jerusalem. Anybody interested in uh, going on this trip? I mean, if you're Jesus, are you excited? No. I mean, the thought of everybody praising you sounds nice. If you're a disciple, do you want to, are you ready to go and follow along with Jesus? We're going to find out that first of all, Jesus, uh, he gets, he, he sends his disciples ahead to go get a donkey, which which we all know that part. That's one of the exciting parts. Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
And he's going to prepare for this to happen. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Luke 19, which is a great big jump from where we've been. Luke 19, we're going to hear about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Luke 19, verses 28 to 32. It says, After Jesus has said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go ahead to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, uh, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. So Jesus, we have this fact that he's going into Jerusalem. And this isn't just uh, a random time of the year. This is when they're celebrating the Passover. There are three great big feasts that the Israelites were supposed to go to. This one was the biggest one. And there could be upwards of like two million people in this city that are, are sacrificing, that are uh, joining in a celebration, and then they're heading home. Two million people. Now, how hard do you think it's going to be for Jesus if he just walks through the crowd like everybody else? He's going to walk through, and he's going to have a bunch of people, but it's not going to be any big deal. If you have two million people, it's, not, it's going to be hard to pick you out of a crowd. I mean, if you go to, uh, to Miles City or something, and you, you, you go walk through Walmart, chances are you're not going to see anybody you know, even if they're there. We did happen to see Stephen and Anita there the other night, but you can walk through the whole store and not even know that they're there. And I think... Jesus could have snuck in. He could have went to the temple. Yes, he would have seen the Pharisees there because the Pharisees are sitting there waiting for him because they're like, wherever he comes from, if he's going to follow while he's got to end here. But Jesus has already matched wits with these guys. He's already, he's gotten away from stoning. He's gotten away from um, getting thrown off the cliff. He's baffled them with his words. So Jesus most likely could walk into this, do what he needs to do and leave. And the Pharisees are just going to be more and more irritated. But that's, not how Jesus does it. He doesn't say, I'm just going to walk in and be unnoticed like everybody else does. He says, I'm going to make a statement. I'm not hiding who I am, and I'm not hiding what my purpose is. I want everybody to know. So he sends his disciples ahead. Why don't you go get this donkey? Now, for us, we look at a donkey, and we think that's a wimpy animal. I mean, if you ever had, have you ever been to a donkey race? I mean, if you're rounding up if you're rounding up cows, anybody ever use a donkey to do that? No. I mean, you get on a horse. A donkey is a lot faster. I mean, they, to us, it's like, really, a donkey? But back then, a donkey was the sign of, a sign of peace, and it was a noble animal. If a, if a king came in riding into a city, he was coming in in peace. You only came in on a horse if you're making a statement about, I'm taking this place over, and you guys are going to do what I want. And Jesus comes in completely opposite. He comes in peace. Back in the Old Testament, this was a, a normal practice because when David had his son Solomon anointed king, he, he said, put him on a donkey. And he walked through the city in peace. And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing. But Jesus isn't just resting his backside and resting his legs while he's walking because Jesus and his disciples were used to walking everywhere. It's just how you got from point A to point B. Well, now Jesus is riding a donkey because Jesus has something important that he's trying to do. In your bulletin, 
right underneath Darlene, it has a verse, Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Of a donkey. So Jesus was the king who was coming. He wasn't coming to make war and to take over the city and say, I'm going to sit on the throne and all you people are going to serve me. He came because he wants to be the, the ruler of our hearts. He wants to have the control of our lives. And one day he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And every knee is going to bow. Everybody, no matter how mad they are and how, how mad they grit their teeth or how happy they are, are going to bow their knees and they're going to bow their head to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Jesus was coming to bring salvation. He wasn't coming to rescue the Jews from the Roman government, which is what some of the people wanted him to do. He was coming to bring salvation to rescue all of us, the whole human race, from the punishment of our sins. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus came on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Like I said, Jesus came in peace. If he was on a horse, he, he could have mustered up all sorts of people. He could have taken over the city because he's Jesus. But he says, I'm not coming in force. I don't want to force you people to follow me, to trust in me, to serve me. He says, it's your choice. I'm coming in peace. I want you to choose to follow me as your Savior. <clears throat> okay, so now we're going to find some positive and negative responses to this. Jesus is coming on this colt and on this donkey. And there's a lot of positive responses from this. And then we're going to start looking at the negatives. The first is a positive, verses 35 and 36. It says, they brought it to Jesus, meaning the cloak, or the, the colt, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. People are, and it's, you guys have heard the expression of rolling out the red carpet for somebody. For somebody important, you say, I want everybody else to know this person is important, and I want the person who's coming down to know that they're special. And so that's what everybody's doing. They're taking off their outer cloak, and it would, it would be something that was important to them. It wasn't like just an extra coat. Hey, I'm going to take this home and stick it in the closet and grab something else and wear because it's all dirty. This was something you would bundle up with at night. And so it is kind of a sacrifice. You, you, you lay out your, your cloak for the donkey to walk on, which is, okay, that's bad enough, but there's lots of other people walking on this thing too. It's not, it's not like just a parade where it's just completely clear. You got dirt on the bottom. You got footprints on top. And these people are laying this out. And that was something that also, uh, it, was, it was showing to everybody else that, hey, I'm partaking. I believe what this guy says. They also cut down palm branches, which to me sounds like a much easier thing to do. I want to keep my cloak, cut off some palm branches and put them on the ground. But they were also a sign. They were a symbol uh, of victory and success. They even had it on their coins. They had a little picture of like a palm branch that, that showed victory and success for their community. And the palm branches was something that was also done in the Old Testament, uh, or the, the cloaks. They, they would take those off for people who were of high importance that were anointed as king. Elisha did that for a guy named Jehu. And immediately all the men took off their cloaks and put them on the ground for this guy to walk on with his feet. This is the one the Lord's anointed. This is the guy who we're believing in, that we're trusting him, and we're going to follow him. So it was something that was pretty familiar to people. In verses 37 and 38, now we're going to give God, we're going to give Jesus our praise. 
It says, When it came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All these people are praising God. They're excited. Jesus is coming into town. But you know, there's, there's lots of different reasons why these people are praising God. There are people who are like the disciples who have this genuine interest in following Jesus. They're the guys who went and got this donkey, where that's kind of be awkward. You're trying to get uh, a donkey from a different town, and what are people going to think? They're going to where they, they're, they're expecting to die. And so they're, they're praising God. But then you have the onlookers, the people who are excited because they've heard stories of what Jesus did. They're looking for the miracle man, looking for the miracle machine. Uh, in verse 19, or verse 37, it says, They were praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. As long as you're doing something, Jesus, as long as you keep my interest, I'm going to keep following you. And so you have those people. And then you have the people who are expecting Jesus to march right into Rome, or right into Jerusalem, and dethrone the Roman government and take over. So all these people are, for all sorts of different reasons, are all praising Jesus and all expecting something out of Jesus that's different from somebody else. But the bottom line is they're praising God. And the actions that they took, the, the, the sacrifices they made with their cloaks, the cutting of the branches, everything that they say is pointing to the fact that we are going to follow you as king. Now, the, the, uh, obviously, not everybody's going to like this. We have the Pharisees who are waiting for Jesus to, to, to roll into the temple, and they're, they're thinking, we're going to take this guy by force, and we're going to take him out, and we're going to lock him up, or we're going to kill him, we're going to do something with him. So it's pretty obvious that they're not going to like this. Verse 39, somewhere there in the mix of this, and it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like, how dare you let these people worship you? Because you're nobody. You keep saying you're the Son of God, but you're nothing. This, this praise isn't for you, and, and you, you better stop. And Jesus tells them, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It sounds like if they say, hey, okay, fine, we're going to be shut up by Jesus or by what these people say, the rocks are going to start praising Jesus because Jesus deserves the praise and the glory that he's getting. He's not getting it with the right motives, but he's getting what he deserves. So there's nothing going to stop him from getting all that he deserves. And the, the Pharisees, they're, they're afraid about this. They're afraid for a couple of different reasons. They're afraid at the fact that Jesus is coming and he's, he's, there's more and more people following him. Uh, in John 12, 19, they have this thought that the whole world is going after this guy. We're never going to be able to stop this guy. But they're also afraid that when he, he gets to Jerusalem, they, they don't understand the fact the way he's going to be king, because he's claiming to be king. They think he's going to get a whole bunch of people together, this crowd that's growing and growing, and go try to take on the Roman army or the Roman government, and that all the Israelites are going to get killed, and they're going to lose their temple, they're going to lose their nation. And so the Jews don't want that. They can't fight the Roman army, but they also don't want Jesus trying to do it, because he's they don't... They don't believe in him and, and what he can do. But Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. He came to be the king and Lord of our lives. So what is your response to Jesus? Are you, are you like the disciples? Or are you like the onlookers? Or are you like the Pharisees? 
Now the disciples, they're the ones who are willing to do whatever Jesus asks of them to do. Going to a different town, untying a colt. How awkward is that? You hope nobody's paying attention and you just can sneak quietly out of town. That's scary. Are you willing to do whatever it is that Jesus asks you to do? Are you willing to go to the death with Jesus? Because that's what the disciples were doing. They thought, we might as well just go with them and die. They weren't trying to convince Jesus otherwise. They weren't saying, okay, well, that was fun for three years. I'm going to do something else. They said, Jesus is going there to die. We might as well go with him. Are you like the onlookers, the people who are excited at the moment? Because there are people who I think saw that there's this big crowd going. They've heard stories about Jesus. They know he does miracles. They know it's the popular thing to do, so we're going to join him. But then when it comes to uh, later on in the week, when Jesus is, is standing there, they're, part of this crowd starts changing their tune. They're the ones who start yelling, crucify him, crucify him, because all of a sudden, it's not popular to follow Jesus. All of a sudden, it's costing me something. Are you an onlooker that says, while it's convenient, I'll do it, but when it gets tough, I don't know what I'm willing to put up with. Or are you like the Pharisees who flat out don't believe in Jesus? Uh, and they object to other people doing that. And I, I know people like that. I know, uh, you know, with Easter time coming up and with Christmas, there's lots of people who get drugged to church. Uh, I, have, I have a friend whose dad, you see, you just know that twice a year he's coming because his wife loves the Lord dearly, about as, as much as anybody else in the world you can think of. And you, if you think if anybody's going to get saved, it's going to be this guy. But he hasn't accepted the Lord yet. But he'll come for those days because he's, drug there, because his wife wants him to. But he, has no, he wants nothing to do with it. Are you like the disciples? Are you like the onlookers? Or are you like the Pharisees? What is your response? Now, the first response is the, uh, the, the negative. The first negative response we come across is the Pharisees. That makes complete sense. They don't like Jesus. They've never liked Jesus. They don't like the crowd. They don't like that he claims to be the Son of God. They don't like his teachings. They don't like anything about Jesus. But the other one is a little bit more surprising. The other negative response to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, do you know who that is? It's Jesus. Really? Jesus has a negative response. He's trying to get to Jerusalem, and Jesus has a negative response to this. Jesus sees Jerusalem, and he starts weeping for Jerusalem. Not what you expect when you see Jerusalem when you always picture Jesus uh, walking through a crowd of people. I mean, I've always pictured, forgive me, like the mayor walking in a crowd. I mean, on a parade. Yeah, hi, how you doing? And life is good. But Jesus didn't come in like that. Jesus is walking, he's riding on this donkey, and I think he's got a heavy heart. And he, he's, he's feeling the weight of what he knows is coming. The disciples are trying to be happy at the same time, but they're struggling. But Jesus weeps when he comes into town. Verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus, he's coming down the Mount of Olives. He's going around a curve. And as he's 
going around. He's, he's somewhere around 700 feet above the city of Jerusalem. And he stops. And he can see the whole city. The crowd's all excited. I picture them thinking, Jesus is stopping to see, man, what am I going to get out of this? And look how impressive that is. I'm going into that city. But Jesus stops, and it's like he's in his own different world. He, he, uh, he has a sad look on his face. He's, he, he doesn't, he weeps. He doesn't just have a couple of tears fall. He starts wailing. He's, it's, his whole body is into this. I mean, it's, his whole body is in agony because of Jerusalem. Not because he's going to go there and die, which is going to cause most people to cry, but he's, he's in agony and he's in pain because he knows that whole city is going to reject him. He knows that the people that God loved uh, are going to choose not to follow him. He knows that in, uh, at, in about A.D. 70, that that whole, that whole temple is going to be destroyed so much that you could take a plow and you could run it right across the city. And Jesus is weeping for that because he's heartbroken. And I, don't, I have no idea what the crowd did with that. I don't know if they thought, well, we we're going to break this up or what, but Jesus is completely heartbroken. And I'm sure the other people in the crowd could understand. They could see in the disciples who thinking we're going there to die, I'm sure they're starting to feel the guilt and the weight of, of what is going on. But Jesus didn't let that stop him. Jesus was a willing servant. He didn't let the fact that uh, the people who are worshiping him and they didn't really mean it, stop him from going to Jerusalem. Jesus didn't let the fact that he had disciples that he had for three years follow him, that he taught, that he gave them the ability to do miracles, who were going to walk away at his greatest hour of need, stop him. Jesus didn't let the fact that he was going to be paying for the sins of the whole world stop him from going to the cross, and he was going to die the most horrible death that you could possibly think of, Stop him. That's why I, I titled this The Willing King. Because he could have come and said, Hey, buddy, you guys get your act in order. I'm the king and you follow me now. And you guys follow all these rules. And you guys prove to me that you're worthy of my love and pr- worthy of my salvation. But Jesus didn't come that way. He came to die on the cross to offer us a free gift of salvation. And today with communion, we have the chance to celebrate that. There's a little piece of bread And there's a little cup of juice, and that little bread represents Jesus' body. And that little cup represents Jesus' blood. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about how important this is. And Paul quotes Jesus' words, and when he says, This this, uh, bread is my body, do this in remembrance of me, and this cup is my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is something that we're not supposed to take lightly. This is a very special thing that Jesus did for us, and now we have the opportunity to celebrate something very special that Jesus did. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about, hey, I want you to take this often, but I I don't want you to do this in an unworthy manner. For the Corinthians people, there are people who are dying, and there are people who are sick because they they took it in a flippant attitude. Either A, they didn't know Jesus as their Savior, and they were taking it because they're just one of the buddies or one of the crowd, or they had sin in their life that wasn't there was something between them and God that wasn't right. And so I would like to take a few minutes now and ask everybody, close your eyes and bow your heads and make sure everything's right with God. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have three options. That's, that's a lot of options. Your first option is to take it and act like, well, I don't really, I've taken this before and it doesn't really matter and I'm just going to take it because everybody around me is doing this. 
Your second option is to say, okay, I'm just going to let it pass by. I don't know if that's serious or not, but uh, I'm just, I don't believe that stuff, so I'm not going to take it. But the third option is the best option. And that's just to do what everybody else in here has done that knows Jesus. You pray and ask God, please forgive me for the things that I've done, and please be my Savior. And that's what I would say is best. But if there's something between you and God that's not right, you've had some bad thoughts about somebody, or the tongue was loose, or, or something, God's going to bring to your mind whatever it is you need to confess before him. So I'm going to take a couple minutes, and then I'm going to call the deacons up to help me serve communion.